the outside in and you're like, no, I don't want this, God. No, from the inside out, you want the changes that God wants to bring in your life because you know he's an awesome God. You know he gave everything that he had for you. He gave the best that he had for you by sending his own son. And if God's going to send his own son, how will he not also with his son give you all things? And there is so much that we have waiting for us in the future. Last week we talked about living on purpose, how Paul was a man on a mission. He knew why he was here and he was living that mission out. Today I want to talk about this, the power of encouragement. And probably all of us could give testimony to the power of people encouraging us. But I want to tell you there's such a a poverty of encouragement in the world today. If you're like me, you grew up to this, to that, too much of this, too little of that. You're, You're always criticized for something. But God wants us to be people that encourage one another. The bottom line of today's message is this. The Christian life is to be lived in community with others who will impact your life as you impact theirs. It's the beauty of the body of Christ, the beauty of the church. All of you with your special gifts and abilities, using them to impact the lives of others as they impact your life. One amazing way in which we can have a positive impact on others is in the way we encourage and edify others in the body of Christ. And I know in my life, some of the most amazing moments that I remember most clearly are people that I knew that loved me, that gave me the encouragement I needed right when I needed it. I was reading one author this week that said, by the way, how many people are there in the world? Anybody know? Over 7 billion in the world is the last count, right? This one author said that in our world today, 4 billion go to bed hungry every night. Wow. But then he went on to say this, and 5 billion go to bed hungry for encouragement every night. We need encouragement. We need encouragement not only in our lives, but in our churches And I want to tell you, I love what God is doing in our church. I brag about this church all the time to other pastors and other people that ask me about the church. We have an amazing thing going on here at Riverview. There are so many people behind the scenes serving God. There's so much encouragement going on. But the last thing we want to do is sit back and say we've arrived when in actuality God wants us to be even more encouraging more committed to building one another up. And my prayer would be, and I know it's yours as well, that every time someone comes to Riverview Church, they are encouraged. They are built up. That doesn't often happen. You know, that pat on the back that so often is so encouraging. I saw this video and it reminded me how sometimes pats on the back don't always accomplish what they're supposed to. This video of two penguins. Uh, you got to watch this. It's pretty cool. Here they are. This penguin, walk, taking a walk, taking a walk, boom. Taking a walk, taking a walk, taking a walk, boom. Taking a walk, taking a walk, taking a walk, boom. Sometimes a pat on the back can feel like a slap on the backside of the head, amen? So we don't want to be like that. We want to be people that encourage one another and build one another up to be that church God has called us to be. With that in mind, let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Let's do life God's way, amen? That's why we find it in the Word of God. That's why we love the Word of God here at Riverview. Now, he starts to list all these people. I'm going to tell you how many lists in these 16 verses. 28 people in five different groups he highlights in these 16 verses. It's kind of that kind of passage with all these funky names 
that you hope you never have to read in public. But here I go, all right? I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Chentria. Chentria was a city right outside of Corinth, right on the, it was a port city, right on the Mediterranean Sea that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Most scholars believe Phoebe was the one that brought this letter to the church in Rome while Paul was still in Corinth. So Paul's saying, welcome her. She's a, a person that's helped me in my ministry. Make sure she has everything she needs. Then he goes on and says this. Greet Prissa and Aquila. Prissa being a shortened form of the name Priscilla. That couple was a couple that Paul met in Acts chapter 18. They had been um, told to leave Rome. The Jews were told to leave Rome by Claudius the emperor. Priscilla and Aquila went to Corinth where they met Paul, and they were tent makers, and so was Paul. So Paul met them. They were believers in Christ. He lived with them while he also made tents to support his ministry of planting churches. They've been a huge blessing to Paul. He says this in verse 4, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Have you ever had somebody who risked their life for you? Well, Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul. That's how much they loved Paul. That's how much they encouraged Paul. Then it says this, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Empanatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. These two are believers before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. They had a problem with narcissism. They got over it. <laughs> Greet those workers in the Lord, Tripena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well, Paul says. I love that. Greet us in Critus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. See, I call this passage the Hall of Significance. Uh, you might have heard of, in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11, Paul, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews lists all of these amazing people of faith. And theologians call it the hall of faith. I didn't want to call this chapter the hall of faith. Uh, so something a little different. The hall of significance. 28 people in five groups who were using their lives for Jesus Christ. Who were a great encouragement to Paul in his ministry. And my prayer would be that all of us would say, Mel, I want my life to be like one of these people. They will forever be known in the word of God. Some of them we only know by name. But we know that Paul viewed them as someone who built, them, built him up and built up his ministry. And my prayer would be all of us would be in that kind of hall of significance. 28 people who encouraged Paul. Five groups who were behind Paul in his ministry. 
first thing I want to challenge you with today is this. Your walk with Christ is best done in relationship with others. The importance of community. You cannot follow Christ alone. You can't be obedient to Christ alone. Throughout the word, there's these concepts of one another. Love one another, forgive one another, build up one another, edify one another. The one another aspect of scripture is essential to being a follower of Christ. I was in the hospital giving blood and, and the lady who was taking my blood sat me down, strapped my arm, put the needle in my arm and I started to talk to her. I said, how, how long have you been working in the hospital? Oh, this many years. And I said, uh, do you work uh, like Monday through Friday? What are your hours? Oh yeah, mostly Monday through Friday. I said, so you're off on weekends? And she said, yeah, I'm off on weekends. I said, by the way, I'm a pastor of a church. I'd love for you to come to my church. This is down in Palomar. And she said, I don't go to church. And I said, well, why not? Why don't you go to church? She says, well, I, I believe in God, but God and me, we have an arrangement. We have an arrangement, and my church is nature, and I go out and I enjoy nature, and, and that's where I do church. I said, well, that may be the arrangement you think with, you have with God, but God tells us throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, that if you're going to worship him, you do it with others. That there has to be this component of one another. Because I said, you're obviously a gifted lady. As she has the needle in my arm, I didn't want to say anything else. You know, she's like, ow. I said, you're a gifted lady. You, you have gifts that could help others. And there are people that have gifts that could bless you. That's the beauty of the church. He said, well, I don't really go to church and I'm very content with my church in nature. I said, okay, but if you ever change your mind, you're welcome to come to Riverview. And I gave her one of our invite cards and asked her to come. But that's not the way we're to follow Christ. We're not to do it alone. God is so much into the one another aspect of church. Listen to this passage that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Therefore, I love this, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's kind of what I would say to Riverview. God is doing amazing things here. You're building one another up. There's so many people serving behind the scenes, serving others. Hey, keep doing what we're doing and let's seek to do it even better. In verse 14, as if it wasn't clear enough in verse 11, he writes it again. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Be a church that loves to encourage the faint-hearted. Have I as a pastor ever been faint-hearted? Absolutely. Have I as a pastor been blessed by the encouragement of others in this church? absolutely, totally encouraged by people in this church. And my prayer would be that every one of you, eventually, whether you're new here or you've been going for a while, that eventually everyone would say, I feel the same thing coming to Riverview. I feel encouraged every time I come. I feel admonished and exhorted. You know what admonishment is like? It's like the coach that says, hey, you're doing a great job out there, but I notice your elbow's coming out on your jump shot. Bring it back in and you'll be able to help hit that shot even better. That's admonishment, right? It's encouraging the athlete to keep going, but let me give you a little tip on how to do it even a little bit better. Admonishment reminds me of the story of a company that was moving to a new form of retirement benefits, and they needed 100% participation from all the employees or else they could not implement it. The requirement was 100% implementation by the employees, and there was one employee by the name of Sam who refused to sign on. And all the other employees were encouraging Sam, Sam, sign on. We need everybody to sign on for us to implement it according to our regulations. He wouldn't sign on. So finally, the president of the company called Sam in his office. 
and said, Sam, I, I got to tell you, we need everybody to sign on to this plan. And I'll be honest with you, if you don't sign on, I'll need to fire you effective today. So Sam signed on. And the president asked him, Sam, what was holding you back? What was holding you back from signing the plan? He, Sam said this, no one explained it to me as clearly as you did today, president. <laughs> Either you sign on or get fired. You know, that's pretty clear, right? That's admonishment. Let's do the right thing. See, that's what the body of Christ is like. People in my life that have admonished me and exhorted me, I will never forget some of the clearest memories I have regarding my walk in Christ are people that lovingly admonished me, that encouraged me when I was faint-hearted, that helped me when I was weak. That's what we need to see here all the more at Riverview. To make it even more of that, it's so important. My son, uh, Friday night, played in a basketball game. He's 12 years old, one of my sons. And uh, he didn't have a good game. Actually, probably one of the worst games he's had. And I could tell when he walked off the court, he was discouraged. And I, I could tell when he got in the car, he was discouraged. And just so you had to put this in context, he just finished a season with a team and now is starting this other team uh, for the summer. And this is one of his first games. And he played badly and felt discouraged. He said, Dad, I think I want to quit basketball. Now, here's the reality. He just won the most valuable player on his previous team. And he has one bad game and wants to quit and give up. Does that give you an indication of how much we need to encourage one another? How easily we can be walking along and doing well in our walk with Christ and something happens and it throws us off and we feel like quitting. That's why encouragement is such an important concept in the Bible. That's why one anotherism is so important in the church. Here's the second thing I want you to remember. It's this. Your growth in Christ is greatly enhanced by the impact of others. I believe this with all my heart. Those 28 people in chapter 16 that I just read, if they were not a part of Paul's life, he would not have been as effective as an apostle, as a leader in the church, as he became. Those 28 people made him even more powerful in his ministry. And that's what happens here at the church if we encourage one another and build each other up. The impact of our lives, the growth trajectory of our lives becomes even greater and more powerful. Hebrews 3.13 reiterates this. says this, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you, may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That word exhort there is a beautiful word. It's the word parakaleo. It means to be called alongside. It's also the word used of the Holy Spirit, which is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't helping us from a distance. Jesus calls him the parakaleo, the one who is called alongside of us. He encourages us close up, which is exactly what we should do in the church. We're not encouraging people from a distance, but we're encouraging people close up. And what I mean by that, it's not a fake encouragement. It's not a plastic, over-the-top, super enthusiastic encouragement that just comes across too much, too fake. It's a looking someone in the eyes, like your spouse. And I want to encourage all spouses to become encouragers in their marriage. To look your spouse in the eye and say, thank you for the impact you've made in my life. Thank you for how you've helped me over the years to keep my focus on Christ. 
Thank you for the ways in which you've served me. Thank you for the ways in which you've provided for this family. Thank you for the ways in which when I was feeling discouraged and defeated, you encouraged me and built me up. Marriages, I want to tell you today, you need to flood your marriages with godly encouragement. Sincere, heart-to-heart, eye-to-eye encouragement for your spouse and for your kids. That you can encourage your kids every day. Why? Because there's a spiritual battle out there. And Satan wants to deceive us. Like it says here, the deceitfulness of sin. What is deception's goal? Deception's goals are these, to cause unbelief in a believer's heart. To begin to doubt the word of God and following it. Another goal is this, lack of discernment. You know, people that know better. I know I shouldn't be doing that over there. The Word of God tells me not to, but I'm just going to do it a little bit. It's okay. It's, it's not a terrible thing if I just do that thing that the Word of God tells me to stay away from just a little bit. That's the deceitfulness of sin, lack of discernment, lack of the godly filter that all of us need in our lives. Here's another thing, self-centeredness. Hey, it's all about me anyway. When's the church going to serve me? When are people going to do for me? I'm not going to serve anybody else until they serve me properly. And by the way, God, I I wish you were doing a better job of serving me. Here's another result. It's resentment. Resentment for others around you that you perceive to have a better life than you do, even though you don't know the problems they're going through, but you perceive them to have a better life. So it's very hard to encourage them and build them up because you're jealous of them and you resent them. Here's another Outcome of the deceitfulness of sin. It's rebellion against God and his clear teachings, thinking that I have a better plan than God does. I know what God says when I get wrong, that I should forgive, but I'm going to do it a better way. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get revenge. I'll rebel against God. Always a bad plan. Here's another goal of deception, to isolate believers. And it happens so often. And it breaks my heart when I hear people say, you know what, Mel, I was hurt by the church years ago, so I have stopped going to church. You know, here's the reality. We all know it. The church is filled, like me, with imperfect people, like me, right? And yet God is at work in all of us, and God uses those moments of struggle between believers to help us handle that struggle in a way that honors God and causes me to grow and allows for restoration in that relationship with the other believer. And now I'm a better person. I'm not going to make that mistake again and hurt that fellow believer. And neither is that other person because we've grown through it. Don't be deceived by sin. Don't allow your gifts and abilities to be sidelined. But realize that the church is this awesome thing that's designed by God to encourage and build up one another. Here's the third thing. Your impact in this life is exponentially increased when in teamwork with others. The impact of your life is exponentially increased when you are in teamwork with others. These 16 verses are all about 28 people that God used as part of the plan to change the world. These 28 people could have done their own things. They never would have been in the Word of God. Their lives never would have had the significance that they had in serving the church and impacting the world. Same is true for all of us. The most impact you will ever have in your life, the most satisfied you will ever be when you get to the end of your life are those things that you have done for Jesus Christ that will have impact for all of eternity. So our best response, here's the fourth thing, is to encourage and build up others. To have the humility to do that. 
I want to challenge you all to be encouragers. Here's how I define encouragement. Sincere words or deeds done to inspire others to go further and grow stronger in becoming who God wants them to be. That when people come to this church, to Riverview Church, they feel built up. They know there are, let's say, we have a thousand people at Riverview that call this church their home church. That there are that many people backing them up and wanting the best for them. And there is no jealousy and resentment that we feel in the body. But we are here looking out for one another, looking out for the needs of each other, exactly like God intended the church to be. And when you do that, you finally realize, God, this is what you've called my my life to do. This is why I'm here. I was so blinded by my self-centeredness. I was so blinded by doing my own thing. My purpose is to build up others around me in Christ with the resources, God, that you've given to me. Why don't we do that? I thought of two reasons why we don't encourage. Number one is this, self-orientation. Hey, it's all about me. Focused on meeting my needs. Uh, when is the church going to meet my needs? We talked a little bit about that already. Here's another reason why people don't cur- encourage. They have a negative orientation. People in their sin nature love to criticize. There could be a hundred things that go right in a meeting, but the one thing that went wrong will be the one that's focused on. A uh, uh, kind of humorous example of that is sometimes people, and I love when people do this, by the way, People come up to me and say, hey, Mel, I noticed on one of your slides in your sermon that there was a misspelled word. And I'll be like, thank you so much for that. I love when you do that, by the way. I don't, I don't mind it at all. There was a misspelled word in your PowerPoint presentation. But I will always say this when that happens. When they say, there was a misspelled word that I saw and it was this. Thank you very much. Did you happen to notice all the words I spelled correctly? Did you happen to notice how many of those I got right, by the way? And they smile and, of course, walk off. But we have a negative orientation, right, to tear down others because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We need to get away from that. That is not what God intended. That's the way you divide churches. That's the way you destroy confidence in people around you. I was reading this week a Harvard Harvard business study. The ideal praise to criticism ratio. They were saying this. Companies that are most successful, that get their goals accomplished and have the best culture within their corporations. They study the number of positive comments in relationship to negative. This is what they said. The average ratio for the highest performing teams was 5.6. And they went on to say, that is nearly six positive comments for every negative one. Husbands, that's a great ratio for us, by the way. In fact, let's make it seven, right? (laughs) Do you give seven positive comments for every negative one? Do you encourage your wife with seven comments before there's ever one of correction? Wives, same thing with your husband. Do you encourage them seven times more than you correct them? And correction can be good, right? If it's done the right way, correction is not a negative thing. I have loved the people that have corrected me and loved those moments. Maybe at the moment it seemed a little bit hard, but when I thought about it, they're right, and I can tell they love me, and they're saying this for my own good. But let our relationships with our spouses, with our kids, with our friends, six times more encouragement than criticism. May the, I do a lot of funerals, right? 
And I want to tell you how wonderful it is at a funeral to hear people come up and say, this person encouraged me. This person helped me to make my goals a reality. This person was constantly building me up. And how wonderful it is to hear that at someone's funeral. And how sad it is and how awkward it is at funerals when people don't say anything like that. And it becomes obvious that person wasn't like that. May all of us be known as encouragers. May all of us be known that we reflect what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And we're going to give out encouragement to those who are serving faithfully. I mean, at this church, you have people behind the scenes who are here this morning setting up the canopies, taking care of the food, getting the coffee ready, getting stuff ready for the kids, making sure everything was set up this morning for church. All behind the scenes. And I believe with all my heart, That the people that God will reward the most are those people behind the scenes that are faithfully serving you and me and rarely get any praise for it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't give it, amen? To even say, hey, thank you for what you did. You set up the, the patio this morning. Thank you. Thank you for serving us by serving our kids. Thank you for the way you've set up this meeting tonight and this Bible study. Thank you for what you're doing. May encouragement and exhortation and building up one another dominate Riverview Church. See, words that encourage are words that I believe express God's values. Even more than wanting to encourage my son to be a good basketball player and to keep on and not quit, much more than that is to encourage him in his walk with God. I need to be a dad like that. Words that express God's values. Words that facilitate growth in a person's life. Hey, keep going. Hey, what you did there was amazing. You're, you're really good at that. But, man, you, you're going to be, it's going to keep getting better. God's going to develop that ability in your life. Words that focus on solutions and restoration. Those are amazingly encouraging words. Words that focus on, hey, we have a problem here. Let's get to the solution and fix it and restore our relationship. What you don't want to get into is words that attack the person, Right? Words that say, you fool, you idiot, you moron, how could you do that? Those are words that attack the person. They're discouraging words. They're destructive words. No destructive communication from our mouths. Only words that focus on solutions and restoration. Here's another set of words that encourage. Words that express your love and commitment. That you tell your spouse, I love you. Please don't be one of those individuals that have said, and I've heard this as a pastor over the years a couple of times, why should I tell my spouse I love her? I said it at our wedding. (laughs) May we be people that freely and truly and sincerely express love to one another, to love each other, and love for the brothers and sisters that we have here at the church. What we want to stay away from is words that attack or tear down the person. We want to stay away from that. That is not edifying. That does not build up. So quickly, let me give you a few things. Who can you encourage today with a kind word, a positive affirmation of their service, or give an expression of gratitude? Think of someone you can encourage today with a kind word, and it might be right in your own house or family. Secondly, who can you encourage today by a sacrifice of your resources? By giving some extra time to maybe give counsel and hear out a person's struggle. 
to use your talents to bless someone who may be struggling with a certain issue in their lives or resources that you have. I'll skip over the verse, look to the next one. Who can you encourage by reaching out to someone who's not feeling connected? Maybe you know someone in the church that I don't even know about that's not feeling connected, not feeling a part of the church. How can you reach out to that person and say, let's do lunch? Hey, I want to I get to know you better. Let's connect better. I want to make sure you're feeling welcomed in the body of Christ. Here's the next thing. Who can you encourage by helping out in a ministry that may be shorthanded and is needing additional help? Every once in a while, we list uh, ministries in church that say to me, hey, Mel, we could use some people to help with the food ministry or with the children's ministry or with the youth ministry. Maybe it's your time to step up and say, you know, I'm going to encourage these people. I've been living a lot of my time and, and the, the schedule that I have for me. I'm going to start to live it for others. And then this. Who can you encourage by including them in something that's blessing and growing you? Maybe there's a Bible study you're attending and you could call a neighbor or a friend and say, I've been going to this Bible study. I love it. Love for you to come with me. I'll come by and pick you up. Let's go together. It'll be so much fun, more fun if we both do this together. Then lastly, who can you encourage today by forgiving them and giving them another chance? Who can you encourage today by forgiving them and giving them another chance. You may have to work through boundary issues, and there may be steps you have to take to bring about restoration. I get that. But don't allow a division in the body of Christ when it could be healed by doing what God intended for us to do. So church, let's be an encouraging church that everyone that walks through our doors senses the love and encouragement of Christ in this place. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have encouraged us by giving everything you had for us. Help us, Lord, to take the principle of encouragement. May we live it out in our marriages, in our families, with our friendships, in our church, Lord. May we live out what your plan is. Help the legacy of our lives to be one of being an encourager, building up others. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. That's all.